29th Psalm. Now, when we come to the 29th Psalm, you'll notice that there is a heading there. It's called the Psalm of David. And in this psalm, or this song, it's a hymn, uh, David talks about how God reveals his power and his majesty through a thunderstorm. Now this is a, if I were going to teach or preach or speak at a weatherman's convention, this is the psalm I would use. And I've had a lot of fun with this psalm this week. Now you'll know from our past study that some psalms are called night songs, psalms of the night. And these were psalms that David would write or maybe pray or sing uh, when he was facing a crisis. And he didn't know what the outcome would be the next morning. So he would pray and ask God to intervene because maybe an invading army was about to uh, uh, cross the, the border. And then some psalms are morning psalms. These are psalms that David wrote when he woke up and guess what? He was still alive. <laughs> and the nation was still intact. But this is a storm psalm. And I think that he writes it in the middle of a thunderstorm. And what he does as the storm rolls in and the thunder claps and the lightning strikes, he realizes that this thunderstorm, in a sense, uh, reveals God's glory and God's strength. That's what he draws from this. Now, I think there's a hidden message here, and I think we're going to see this as we go through the psalm. Now here's how we're going to outline the psalm. Verses 1 and 2, a call to worship. We'll call this a call to worship, verses 1 and 2. Then verses 3 through 9, David gives us a description of a thunderstorm as it rises over the Mediterranean Sea. Verses 3 through 9. And then verses 10 and 11, we have an affirmation of God's kingly rule. The conclusion is that God rules over the universe. So, let's look at section 1, a call to worship. I'm just going to read it. Here's what it says. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, when you look at this, these first two verses, we discover a few things. First of all, what we are to do. And notice what it says. Give unto the Lord, look at the next section, give unto the Lord, next, give unto the Lord. That phrase is used three times, so guess what you're to do? You're to give to the Lord. Now, what does it mean to give to the Lord? You don't have a need for anything. This word give means ascribe to the Lord. Okay, so just circle that and put the word ascribe, and you'll see how this works out. Now, who is to give to the Lord? Look what it says at the beginning of verse 1. Give to the Lord, O you mighty ones. The phrase mighty ones is from the Hebrew word elim. El meaning God. The I am ending on there means gods. And so he's saying to the gods, give to the Lord. Now which gods? Well, there are pagan gods, the Baal gods, which aren't real gods, but sometimes heavenly beings like angels are called gods. Sometimes earthly rulers are even called gods. Judges on earth were called gods. People who had important positions who represented gods were called gods with a small g, not a big g god. 
So I think he's probably talking to the angels and people of great importance on earth. And he says, you need to give to the Lord. Now what are we to give to the Lord? Look what it says right there in the middle of verse 1. Give unto the Lord glory, that means majesty, adoration, and strength. See, here's how we know the word give doesn't mean give. It means means ascribe. You can't give God strength. You have no strength to give God. He is stronger than anyone. He is more glorious than anyone. There's nothing we can give God. So what it's saying is ascribe to the Lord, recognize the Lord as the one who is majestic, adore the Lord, say, and ascribe to the Lord strength. Recognize that He is the one who has all power. Now I think what He's doing here, He's saying to the angels, and maybe to kings, that they're to do this because these are the kinds of things that uh, we want to claim for ourselves. We want to claim glory. Uh, we want to. We think we're powerful. Think of uh, some of the rulers in the world who think they're pretty important. See, and even, there was even an angel who tried to raise up and claimed majesty for himself and thought that he could overthrow God, that his strength was so great that he could overthrow God, wasn't it? And Lucifer was cast down. So what God is telling us to do is to recognize who he is. And when you do that, guess what that does to you? That puts you in proper perspective. It makes you realize you're not God, he's God. And it humbles us, those of us who have this tendency to be proud. Now why are we to do this? Look what it says the beginning of verse 2. Give unto the Lord, or ascribe to the Lord, the glory that is what? Do His name. We're to do it because He deserves it. He is majestic. He's the king. He is strong. He's the one who holds the crown. He's the one who holds the sword. He's the real king over the nation of Israel. And this is written to the Israelites. He's the real strength of the nation of Israel. Is David the real king? Well, yes, he's the real king. But guess what? There's a king above David. He's more majestic than David serves. Is David the strength of Israel? Well, he's strong and he's wise, but God's the strength behind the nation. So now that's what we're to do. We're to do it because it's due his name. He deserves it. Okay? Now how are you to do it? In what manner are we to ascribe glory and strength to God? Look what it says at the end of verse 2. Worship the Lord, which means bend the knee. Here's how you do it. You want to ascribe majesty to God? You want to recognize Him as the greatest being in the world? Bend your knee. You want to recognize that He's the strongest in the world? Guess what? Submit. Bend your knee. So that's what worship means. It means to to bend the knee. Worship the Lord. How? In the beauty of holiness. Arrayed in splendor. Uh, beauty of holiness speaks of garments of holiness. Not outward garments. Not talking about your clothes. Not talking about get dressed up on Sunday morning. It's talking about purity of heart. Be arrayed inwardly with beautiness. Beauty and with holiness. And so this is the call to worship. Let all the earth worship the Lord. That's what we're called to do. And even heaven to worship the Lord. Now, we go to verses... 3 through 9, this next section. Still with me? 
Okay. Now what this section does is it talks about a thunderstorm and it traces the path of the thunderstorm. Every thunderstorm starts somewhere and it ends somewhere. And this is going to trace the path of the thunderstorm rising over the Mediterranean Sea, coming on the land, hitting the mountains, coming down into the valley and into the desert, and it tells us what happens when a thunderstorm strikes. And it's very interesting. Another interesting thing about this section is you'll notice the phrase, the voice of the Lord. Look at that, verse 3. The voice of the Lord. You see that? Verse 4. The voice of the Lord. Verse 4. The voice of the Lord. Verse 5. The voice of the Lord. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord. Verse 8. The voice of the Lord. Verse 9. The voice of the Lord. What do you think this section's about? <laughs> I would say it's about the voice of the Lord. And what this section is going to do, it's going to describe God's voice. Uh like the thunder that you hear in a thunderstorm. A booming voice that's powerful and it shakes everything. It's a very frightening thing when a thunderstorm strikes. And so we're going to see that God's voice is described in the terms of a thunderstorm, which makes this very interesting. So let's, let's pick up here. Look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now, what he's doing, he's talking about the voice of the Lord being like thunder, okay? And he says, here's a thunderstorm that starts, that rises up over the Mediterranean Sea. Because remember, the context here is the nation of Israel. And so here's describing a storm, God's voice is like a storm, and the storm rises up over the Mediterranean Sea. And notice what it says next. The God of glory thunders. The God of glory, meaning his voice, thunders. So David is saying that when you hear thunder, you should think of God's voice. And let me tell you, when that thunder claps and you hear that thunder roar, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? There's strength there. There's majesty there. Suddenly you realize how little you are. So here's David going, he's probably going through this storm. Right here's the thunder off over the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, that reminds me of God's voice. So that's what he's doing. And it reveals, this thunder reveals his majesty. So thunder is God's way of getting your attention. I think thunder always gets our attention. There's never a time when it doesn't get your attention. It's like a siren when you're riding down the highway and you start hearing a siren, guess what? It gets your attention. Certain things grab your uh, attention and thunder is one of those things. So here he shows God is speaking in the storm. Okay, And it gets your attention even if you don't have ears to hear. If you're deaf, you still know when it thunders, don't you? How do you know that? Oh, you can feel it. It gets everybody's attention. It's not just heard, but it is experienced. And so when God speaks, David is saying, uh, things shake. And it's scary. And when God spoke on the mountain of Moses, what happened? whole mountain shook. Get your attention. Pretty scary to hear God speak. 
A lot of people say, Ah, God spoke to me. Well, you don't look very scared. When you hear God speak, it can be very scary. Now look at verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It's like thunder, just like a storm. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty, taking us right back to, to verse 1, that we are to ascribe power and glory and majesty to the Lord. So, God's voice is like thunder. Now, let me ask you this. Can you stop thunder? Can you resist thunder? Well, see, God's voice is like thunder. Can't be resisted, can't be stopped. And it certainly grabs your attention. Uh, it's like a, the roar of a lion in the jungle. The lion, the king of the jungle. Majestic, powerful. When he roars, it's like when E.F. Hutton's talk. You know, remember that old commercial? Everyone listens? When the lion roars at night, everything in the jungle becomes completely still and sort of paralyzed. And so here he's saying that God's voice is like thunder in verse 4. It's powerful and it's majestic. At first, when you hear thunder, it's way off. It just sounds, you know it's rumbling out there. It sort of sounds gentle. But then when it gets closer, it's louder. And then when it gets right over you, it's very fierce. And it claps and it cracks and everything else. Now look at verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. Now what's happening? The, the storm is moving and it passes the sea and now it moves on to the land. And guess where it hits? The first thing that experiences the voice of the Lord or the thunderstorm are the cedars of Lebanon. Now Lebanon is up in the north. okay, And it's uh, somewhat of a mountainous region. And what happens is that when God speaks, the, it breaks the cedars and the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. So what is this describing? What splits a tree? Lightning splits a tree. And when God speaks, it strikes. And nothing stands. When lightning hits something, it falls. See? And what falls here are the cedars of Lebanon, which are the most lofty, watch this, majestic, strong trees that stand year after year after year after year. And you don't root them up, but guess what? When God speaks, lightning strikes, they're down just like that. They topple within a second. So God's voice is like a lightning and just uh, catches you off guard, comes out of the blue, trees down that way. Splits it, trees down. Now, I want, to, I want you to think about something here. I'm going to say, and I think that you will probably agree, that this song, even though it's talking about thunderstorm, it's really talking about the power of God, isn't it? And even though it's using a thunderstorm to describe God's power and majesty and the felling of trees, most likely what David is describing is how God comes in and takes care of foreign armies 
who have come against Israel, and their kings who are proud and lofty, and think they are something, think they're strong, and they're just going to take over Israel and bring the people under bondage, and God is like, he says, you know what that's like? To come against God and God's people in that way is like a cedar trying to stand when a thunderstorm so I want you to think of it in a level of this is not only talking about a thunderstorm, but the thunderstorm represents something. It talks about, I think, I think if you read between the lines, you'll see that he's describing God judging haughty kings and bringing down nations and defeating their armies. And I think when we follow this thing through, we'll see this. And one of the reasons I think this, and we won't turn there, but you can write it in your Bible, in Isaiah 2, uh, prophet Isaiah describes what he calls the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, when God judges all the nations. And he likens the judgment of the nations to a thunderstorm knocking down the cedars of Lebanon. So I think that's what he's describing here in sort of metaphoric terms. Okay? Now look at verse 6. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Sarayan like a young wild ox. Now Sarayan is Mount Leban uh, is Mount Hebron, okay, or Mount Hermon rather. So Sarayan there is Mount Hermon in the north, okay. So what he's describing here is a mountain range, okay. And he got the trees on the mountain. And guess what happens when a storm comes in? What happens to the trees on the mountain? They skip and they sway and they break. And they, the whole mountain looks like it's moving when the storm comes in. And uh, that's what he's describing here. He's describing uh, how something moves when God comes against it. And then verse 7 he says, The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Here again you see a lightning strikes. And guess what happens? Some trees fall, but other things catch on fire. So we see fire here, a violent storm depicting God's strength. And fire is always used, in, uh, oftentimes used in, as a, one of the judgment words. And I think he's describing a thunderstorm and lightning that strikes causes a fire. And he says God's judgment is like that. The voice of the Lord, look at verse 8, shakes the what? Wait a second. We started off in the sea came in the land of Lebanon, right? End up on Mount Hermon in the north. And now guess what we do? We come down the mountain. We come into the wilderness. We come into the desert. You see what's happening? And this is in the south. Because look what it says. The Lord shakes the wilderness, verse 8, of Kadesh, which is in the far south. So the storm comes in off the sea, comes in north, over the mountaintops, does all the destruction, and then it comes down into the desert, into the valley, and it moves southward all the way down. The entire expanse of the Holy Land. This, this is a tremendous thunderstorm that's coming down the whole expanse of Israel. And uh, everything in its way, it shakes. See, verse 8 says, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. It's not only mountains that shake and trees that tumble, but everything in the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Verse 9. 
The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now, some people back in this day believed that thunderstorms could produce uh, premature labor in animals. And that could be what it is. Even animals shake and they have their babies before they should have them. Uh, but just with a couple little strokes of the pen in the Hebrew language, uh, you can actually get another translation out of it. So verse 9 could read, instead of reading, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, an alternative translation is, the voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl, to swirl around. Sort of describing like a tornado. Storm comes in, spawning off tornadoes, and even the oak trees that start spinning around, just like you see in a tornado. Everything is spinning around. There's trees in the air, cars in the air, all this kind of stuff. And that translation actually fits in. Either one will work, but that translation fits in with the next part of verse 9, where it says this. And the voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. You see that? I mean... You've seen what happens when a tornado comes in. There was once was trees, and guess what? There's no trees. Nothing there. I mean, we're talking about something that's decimated, you know, totally destroyed. And now we come to the climax of this section. Now look what the end of verse 9 says. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Wait a second. What temple? There wasn't a temple standing when David was speaking. That wasn't built with Solomon. So the word could mean simply sanctuary. In the sanctuary, in the earthly sanctuary, everyone says glory, or it could be the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary. He's speaking to the mighty ones in verse 1. They are to say, hallelujah, glory, praise the Lord. So it doesn't matter where the temple is, it's what they say. Now let me ask you this. Who says praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory over a thunderstorm? This is how we know that this is probably much more than a thunderstorm. He's using the words of a thunderstorm to describe something far greater, which is God's judgment on nations, on kings who are haughty and think they're strong and can overcome God's people. And if this thunderstorm image represents God judging a nation, maybe an invading nation, and they are literally destroyed like a forest that gets hit by a tornado and no one's standing, at the end, what would all God's people and the angels of heaven say? Glory! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Now, so you don't say that when a thunderstorm. Last time I was in a thunderstorm, I had to go into my bathroom and hide. I didn't say, glory, hallelujah. (laughs) So, (laughs) now, so that's uh, section two. Now look at this last section. Here we have an affirmation of God's kingly rule, and I think this all fits in with this understanding of maybe a judgment motif and uh, maybe an invasion where the enemy has been defeated. It says, verse 10, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Now, this can be a present tense or it can be a past tense. In my Bible, it says sat, past tense, enthroned at the flood. Uh, What was the flood? 
It was a judgment, wasn't it? <laughs> a judgment on the earth. Because people thought they were somebody and they did what they wanted to do. They didn't recognize God for who He was. He was enthroned. That's the judgment of the flood. The only time the word flood is used in the Old Testament, except in Genesis chapter 6 and 9, this particular word for flood. And I think he's describing judgment. Now, it could mean, it could be precedent. The Lord sits enthroned at the flood, and if it means that, well, guess what happens after there's a thunderstorm? <laughs> now, well, there's usually a flood, isn't there? If it's been a deluge, a deluge, and it just rains and rains and rains and rains and rains and rains and rains, and rains well, then the result is a flood, which then comes in and destroys everything as well. And we've just seen those in our country. But I think it's probably a judgment here. And back in the first major judgment, God destroyed the earth, but he saved the few by grace. And he was enthroned. He was majestic. He was powerful. He ruled. The Lord sat at the flood. Now look at the end of verse 10. And the Lord sits as king forever. Things haven't changed. He's a God of judgment. He'll bring down the haughty and the proud. And he will save his people. He's still enthroned. He hasn't abandoned his throne. What Israel's facing an invasion, and you as an individual Christian are facing hardships, God is still on His throne, and if He can save no one in His family, He can save this nation, He can save you and deliver you from what you're facing. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a sickness, whether it's an enemy coming against you, God is still on His throne. And He saves His people. Now look at verse 11. The Lord will give strength to His people. See, he does not abandon them. There's the strength. The Lord is the one who is the God of strength. We're to ascribe strength to him, recognize it, and guess what he does with his strength? He gives it to his people. When does he give his people strength here in the psalm? When they're facing their enemy and their enemy's coming in. Suddenly, God stands with them, and if God's for you, who can be against you? And they always defeat their enemy. Now notice the will there. Do you see that? This is what God will do. This speaks of the future. This is will number one. God will give strength to his people. Now look at will number two. The end of verse 11. The Lord will, what? Bless his people with peace. This is the calm after the storm. When the storm is gone, guess what there is? Peace. But guess what? If this is talking about war and battle... After the battle's won, guess what there is? Peace. And who wins? His people. They're the ones that experience the peace. Now, these are two wills. Two things that God promises that he'll do. Therefore, we should have confidence in them. We have assurance that he will do it. Two wills, one God, a promise, and we should rest on that promise. So, when we look at Psalm 29, we can look at it in a couple of ways. It could just be describing a storm. And as David's sitting through a storm, he thinks about how great God is. could mean that. It could be that the storm represents God judging the nations who come against Israel in battle. 
And he says, hey, just like a storm destroys everything, don't worry about it. My voice, I'll be in charge. I'll take care of your enemy. You'll emerge victorious. You'll win and there will be peace. Or it could be that God's talking about ultimate victory, like in Isaiah 2. And, of course, I think every victory that God gives in the Old Testament uh, points to that ultimate victory, when in the end, God will judge the world and the nations to all be brought down, and he will bless his people, Israel. So we see that you can look at this in many ways. Now, I think that it's probably talking about a battle that David's facing and his feet, maybe an invasion, and as he goes and sits through the thunderstorm, he realizes God's great power, and he says, I have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to worry about. So, the next time a violent storm comes across your part of town, you need to think about God's strength, isn't it? In fact, you know what you should do? Next time there's one of those big boomers in your neighborhood, you should pick up your Bible and go to Psalm 29 and read it when it's happening. And look at that promise at the end. And say, I'm going to stand on that promise. I have confidence. So here we see God's majesty and power described in the terms of the story. Next week we'll pick up with Psalm 30. Father, we thank you for our Sunday school class that we can open your word, we can get a lesson, we can see things uh, in it that we've never seen before. What an unbelievable psalm. One that is so graphic, one that shows us how the storm comes in and what it does, and that you are that powerful and majestic, uh, even far greater. Oh Lord, help us to realize that we cannot stop a storm. We cannot resist the storm. It gets our attention, and it does what it wants to do. And that's what you are. You are a sovereign God who is enthroned. Help us to ascribe to you glory and strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.